Bourbon is life. Bourbon is life. And that on that happy note, we will start the podcast. But no, I promise you, she is not a drunk and she doesn't have a problem. <clears throat> I don't I go to meetings. I was paid to say that. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction fashion. Science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. And now, dear listeners and viewers, you know why we didn't pre-record it, because sometimes those mistakes are the like they're like the icing on the cake that is awesome in us. I just I live for those moments when you mess up. I know you do because you love me so much, clearly. I do. I just want to watch you fail. I, I've been podcasting with you for over three years. I love you. Just face it. <laughs> All right. So uh, next is the introduction. So Rachel Beck, uh, Madam Author, might you introduce yourself to yonder listeners and viewers? Hello, yonder listeners like and viewers. Uh, my name is Rachel Beck. I am an author. I write the cyberpunk series, The Glitch Logs, and I'm very excited to be here this evening. Okay, well, we're glad you're excited. She must not have heard of us, Doc. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't know. You're, she's really good at faking it. That's okay. That could be awkward. We're going to move on. <laughs> um, so the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them, and she actually found us through a friend of the show and cyberpunk addict. I mean, aficionado Matthew Goodwin. <laughs> <laughs> who uh, we recently interviewed about the Cyberpunk Day. So he introduced the, us, and after emails were exchanged, we said, well, actually, Doc said, I like talking to lady authors, too, so you were saying yes. And I said yes, because I do what I'm told. I was not that subtle. I just said, the answer is yes. <laughs> no, but if I make it as brutal as you can be, people will think we're exaggerating. But we're not. When, when I said you threatened to stab me, people were like, you shouldn't make that up. She didn't really threaten to stab me. I'm like, no, 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 she threatened. I got receipts. I can prove it. You do not have receipts. I know better than that. Okay, you're not wrong. But if you had <laughs> typed it instead of said it, I totally would have grabbed screenshots. I know. That's why I didn't type it. <laughs> Always right. time like it's going to be read out loud in a courtroom. And this was your legal minute from the Blasters and Blades podcast. We are not your lawyers. We do not condone anything or anything that will get us sued. And with that note, we will talk to Rachel. Are you ready, Doc, for the for the almighty religion questions? I am. So, pick one of the three. Blade Runner, Attila Battle Angel, or Ready Player One. It's Alita Battle Alita. Angel. Alita. I yeah. did it again. I get, okay, I'm dyslexic and I get the T and the L in the back backwards it happens i mean attila the battle angel could be an interesting follow-up i would watch that sequel i would, I would watch too. that movie so i mean seriously uh i gotta say blade runner for that set um <laughs> it's artsy bullshit but like it's good artsy bullshit at least you can recognize it for what it is there's nothing wrong with artsy bullshit but you got to be able to call it when it's there oh yeah so ghost Okay, JR, his, JR did this one and he did it to mess with me. Elysium, Total Recall, or Ghost in the Shell, which is actually sci-fi, JR. Oh, no, these are all just cyberpunk. This is the cyberpunk Q&A oh. we've got. Oh, it's cyberpunk Q&A. That, that makes more sense. Um, I gotta say Ghost in the Shell, but shout out to Elysium for its set design. It does so have great nice. sets and Ghost in the Shell is amazing. So, Doc, these are the questions, the exact same ones we asked Matthew Goodwin, because I want to do that as, like, when we have cyberpunk authors on, to ask the same ones, and then we can compare notes, and we can judge them all. 
Oh, oh, wow, you have been learning scientific method. <gasps> oh, I'm so proud of you. Don't you pollute your mouth like that. Science is a myth. It's made up. It's not real. It's a government conspiracy. Yeah, believe the sci-fi writer who says that. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay. So, third round. Fifth element, Watchmen or Judge Dredd? I guess I hadn't thought of Watchmen as cyberpunk, but I could see it. It's definitely got that punk noir thing going. Yeah, noir for sure. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's got like this... Both Google and Bezos have declared it to be such. And Bezos can declare how... whatever it wants and still we, be wrong. We I all mean, know how I don't... much Doc loves uh, Mr. Bezos. <laughs> I don't want to get into the genre wars, so I'm just going to accept the uh, the question as written. Uh, Watchmen was pretty good. The comic was definitely better than the the movie, but like it was it was still an interesting piece, especially for when it came out. Um, Confession: yes. I could not get through Fifth Element. I what? tried twice, and I couldn't do it. It you just never dragged. experienced the joy of the multi pass. Uh, Oh I'm sorry. I, I didn't get past when like the chick and the dude meet. I have bailed both times shortly thereafter. It's pretty early in the I movie. know. I so know. like it's it's admittedly like that love of cringe thing. If you if you can't take cringe in film, like it's probably I get it, but it's campy and I like campy and cringy movies. Like the B movies are most of the time better than the, a, the supposed blockbusters, in my opinion. See, if I want something campy, I want there to be giant fighting monsters in it. Like, give me your like Godzilla. Give me your Pacific if, Rim. Like, where the dialogue is when you go get like more popcorn, and you come back, and there's just giant, high quality CGI monsters I eating have, the shit out of each other. Yeah, I but you, you missed the good Pacific fight scene because it felt like an anime movie. Yeah, uh, it felt like an anime movie done live action and done well. I loved it. So, so you have the. Um, the fight scene on Fifth Element where Dallas Corbin, they want to negotiate with them. And then it's like pure cheesy 80s. Like it's not made in the 80s, obviously, but it's pure cheesy 80s action movie where he just goes in and literally kills all of them. Like, no, there is that stuff in there. You just didn't make it far enough. Okay. You know, maybe someday I'll give it another another shot. I just maybe yeah, like, just, just sleep through the first part. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe and then just wake start up in the middle. Maybe Lord of the Rings. He woke up and he goes, they're still walking. Yes, but there's a different walking. <laughs> they're still walking. I mean, that could be a summary of Lord of the Rings, but uh, they're still walking. They're still walking. That's <laughs> okay. pretty good. Um, All right, we got one more, Doc, because I know you like these questions. Okay, RoboCop, The Matrix, or Tron? I mean, The Matrix, I gotta say, like, it just, like, I rewatched it again recently, and it, it still holds up, more or less. Like, there's some weird CGI moments. Yeah. But, like, I, broadly speaking, it feel, holds up. I don't feel like Tron, as much as I love it, I don't feel that it has, Cyberpunk seems to have a noir, almost, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But Tron doesn't have. Yeah, I mean, Tron's, Tron's interesting, because it's this whole, like, virtual world thing, right? Which is, like, very cyberpunk. Yeah. I think it was called Cyberpunk before, like, Game Lit and Lit Fit. Uh, what is the other one for Game Lit? It's, um, Game Lit, going... uh, Lit RPG. Yeah, Lit, Lit RPG. RPG. I feel like it fits a little bit better because they are going into a game. I think when it was classified as Cyberpunk, those didn't exist yet. I could see it. 
So it's it still fun. Movie. It's pretty colors all over the place. It's definitely not something you do while tripping on acid, just because I imagine those neon colors would drive you bonkers. Um, okay, that was an interesting segue for JR right there. I mean, I've so never have- done it, but when I deployed, we had the surge. All I'm going to say is not everyone passed their drug test to come back in the army. And I wasn't one that failed, but my gunner in Iraq on my first mission was tripping out of his mind. That was interesting. <laughs> so you had but, your uh, legal minute at the beginning, and now you have your medical minute. It's good. This is true. This is true. Uh, most of the time, the medical minute comes from Doc, and she'll try to like scare us with all the gory tales from when she was a medic. But, and I liked RoboCop. That thirty seconds scene where you have three seconds to comply, like that's totally iconic. Oh yeah. But I don't of the three. Like I think the Matrix had such an effect on pop culture. I mean, mm-hmm. people still make the comment about the red pill or the blue pill, right? That's yeah. morphed well, into something whole... more. Oh but, well, there's people who make the comment, and they're too damn. They don't. They haven't even seen the movie yet. And I'm like, yeah. well, some of the people making the comment and, weren't alive when the movie was out. Okay, so they, that DVD streaming, no excuse. So when I have like a K, a KSU freshman or sophomore who makes the comment, I'm like, oh, and they have no idea. It's like, child, go home and shut up until you've watched the movie. That's that's a valid complaint, but. All right. So we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, like both the fantastical. Yes. Now I'm going to shake my fist and tell them to get off my lawn. Uh, We like both the fantastical and the scientific. Um, Not so much me and the science. I fake it with hand wavium um, because we know chemistry isn't real. But uh, (laughs) which 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 was your first love sci-fi or fantasy? Um, Fantasy. Actually, you can draw two really like sharp chapters in my life. I loved uh, fantasy pretty much until I came to America and then there was a gap where I did no spec fic and then it was sci-fi after that. Okay. There's a story in there somewhere, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on. This is not the therapy hour. I do not have a license. <laughs> so what, what was your first memory of the genre? Which, which um, fantasy franchise was it? Do you remember? Oh man. I mean, my parents were like big into reading, right? So they read to us most nights. And so it was mostly like like British animal stories, I guess if you qualify that as like fantasy, that would have yeah. been like the early exposure. I remember reading like Red Wall of like third grade and like fell in love with that franchise. Um, the Animals of Farthing Wood. It was like mostly like kid animal stories. And then I read Tamora Pierce and all her stuff as I got older, Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, the Dark is Rising series. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. I have them on books and storage still somewhere. So, you know. Um, <laughs> we're our friends and we don't get rid of them, right? Exactly. Okay. Literally, the spine on Martin the Warrior is taped together because I slept with it under my pillow so that my parents, like, you know, do the flashlight thing. We're like, they're coming oh, yeah. and turn it off oh, yeah. and shove it under the pillow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one, you would like almost die from like the heat of the flashlight right next to your face as it overheated. <laughs> and kids these days will never know because they've got like the tablets they're reading on and the little Kindles. They don't know like having to hide under the blanket so the light doesn't show. No, oh no, 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 no. I do that to mine. I've caught him doing that. <laughs> right, well then he he's he's passed that rite of passage. It is and good. I let him get away with it because I was so touched. <laughs> I mean, like I, I wonder if I actually got away with it as much as I thought, or my mom did the same thing. I'll have to ask her someday. But uh, not today. I, I know I got away with it some more, but my parents are make lots of noise coming up the stairs. So I was able to turn off the light really fast. That does help. So 
Uh, but we're not here for your therapy either. Uh, we don't have the time or I can do booze. therapy. That implies emotions. This is true, but we don't have enough booze for you to dive into that. So instead, we're going to go back to talking about Rachel, if that's okay. So Rachel, what was your first memory of speculative, or what is it you love, excuse me, about speculative fiction? Talk uh, about botching the segue. <laughs> uh, so... I think I loved different things about each genre. Like in uh, fantasy, especially, it tends to be pretty hopeful. Um, and I liked the optimism of that. Um, I liked, also it just like contextually it fit. Like I, I grew up in a sort of more rural Germany. Like literally there was a castle ruin, like a 45 minute walk from my house that we would go nice. camping in. It was like Dude. very much, yeah, it was great, right? Awesome. Um, like you could see the Alps on a clear day. How could you not love fantasy with that? Right, exactly. You're like in a fantasy world reading about one. Exactly. So it was this like optimism, like hope for the future. And there was this like, especially when you're a kid, there's this like magic of like most of the protagonists, if they just believe it and want it hard enough, they can do it. Right. Like, especially yeah. if like any sort of magic is involved, they just really focus up hard and like the spell or the whatever does the thing it needs to do when the world is saved. Um, yeah. And like, as a kid that was like constantly being moved around from place to place and like not a lot of agency there's like a lot of attraction to being like oh yeah but there could be this world where if you just wanted something badly enough you could take control of your life that's awesome i could see that um i could see that sci-fi the thing that actually drew me to it is that um especially cyberpunk is that it just felt really honest like it felt um like i remember when i like first got into it i was driving an hour and a half on the five i live in california and at los angeles so I was driving an hour and a half on the five to get to work every day at a corporation um, that was terrible. And it was just this like series of like moments where I was like, they promised, like I was promised growing up this like world where if you worked hard, you could achieve your dreams and you know, all that sort of thing. And this is not it. Like I am living in suburbia and the air is choked <laughs> and like however many months out of the year, the sky turns red because the state's on fire um yes. like what has happened and so there was a certain like especially because i was working in marketing um like there was just a sudden honesty um in sci-fi and then especially in cyberpunk where they were like no the world like people legitimately suck and they don't have to mean it in order to make it suckier um that can happen as a byproduct of people trying to get what they want um and so there was that sort of like it was really actually refreshing to encounter a genre that was just really honest about that and wanted to engage with those questions of like what is our relationship with technology what is our relationship with money what is our relationship with like all these systems that make our world i really like systems um like i'm fascinated by like the broader systems that shape our world and mm -hmm. so sci-fi and then especially cyberpunk just really scratched that itch and and well, i appreciated that it was willing to tackle that and also, you know, the a lot of times the villains in cyberpunk are definitely the ones who are pulling the wool over people's eyes and lying to them. So, you know, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, and and it's really nice to have something that villainizes that, the right? not being honest part, you know? Well, and this idea that like money does not equate to moral goodness is like this big resounding, like the bad guys are pretty much always like billionaires, right? Yeah, in these in these pieces. So there was this like relief to be like, no, this person that's held up to you is like this paragon is not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the what HR or the PR department says. Like they're they're in it to like make the numbers go up. That's that's it. 
So I get that because as a someone who grew up like reading comics and, and Batman and, and Iron Man and stuff, mm-hmm. I have to say with all the billionaires that we have in the world, I'm disappointed that we don't have at least one who decided to like make the gadgets and be the superhero. But would we know? <laughs> Maybe there's an ultra ego out there. Yeah, but we would at least know that such superhero existed even if That's we didn't true. know who well, it was. Well, I think Elon Musk tried to make the gadgets. His ego just kind of got in the way. I'm pretty sure that this means is- it's a supervillain, right? Ooh. I could totally or he's see that from James Bond. He's the one making the the stuff mm. for the government agents. He has the social skills, maybe of Q, but I don't think he's got like the. the... All I know is is Musk's going to take us to Mars. And, Q you know, is kind of like that uber dorky cute. Elon Musk is not. He's going to take a, us to Mars, and we're going to stay on the Motel Six, and you're going to be grateful. Oh, no, Let's be I'm real. Not. I'm not affording the Hilton, but you know the Motel Six on Mars may be doable. I'm Hyatt all the way, baby. <laughs> You're just biased. <laughs> all right, so it's actually you, interesting. That's oh, right. Go, go ahead. No. Oh well, it just it's interesting that you bring up superheroes because I actually have this like long running theory about like how the superhero world and the cyberpunk world like interact and are having the same conversation from like different angles. Uh, I guess, especially oh, yeah. Batman. Because it's like a question of like, what do we do with power, right? Um, Like if you look at like most superpowers, usually there's a cybernetic equivalent, like super strength, the ability to fly, lasers, whatever. Usually like the same technology, whereas like in superhero stories, often it's from some outside source, right? Like um, Bruce inherits his million, inherits his millions um, or, you know, like captain uh, uh green lantern in the ring right superman i guess he's born externally he's got radiation poisoning <laughs> right sure um he's got, like the good but, like, radiation poisoning they have this idea that like if you gave a bunch of people power most of them would like attempt to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. of them would try and st- like try and not but even some of the bad guys are still trying to make the world like with poison ivy for example Still yeah. trying to make the world a better place, just society, like, you know, there's like questions about like if that's the right way to do it or not. Um, yeah. whereas Cyberpunk said, yeah, if you gave us superpowers, we would absolutely use them to make money. Um, <laughs> we would immediately like not only would we immediately sell out, but we would immediately use that as a way to control people. Like we will make technology and then we will like we will put adware in it. Yeah. Like hundred percent, no question. Um, and those are two really interesting frameworks, I think, to deal with this question of like, who are we as a people, and like, what do we hope for? Okay, that's that's deep. I like it. We might have to make that some sort of fireside chat and mix the two. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> with with uh, with holidays for November and December, fireside chats will be difficult to arrange that many people at once. But uh, we will be doing more of those, dear listener. Because so, people do have lives, I'm told. Uh, I mean, not Jr. But. No, I'm changing the keyboard. Um, so you grew up in Germany. So how old were you when you came back? Uh, I came back to go to college in the States. Oh, wow. So what was the culture cycle, culture shock like for you coming back and then going to American food after all the European stuff? Oh, it was, you know, there, I did, there were good things. Uh, it was hard. It was hard at first. Um, I discovered that Americans know how to do really good things to a cow, though. Like yes, yes, we do. Americans have nailed the cow system. We need that on a t-shirt. We have nailed the cow system. You were in marketing, I can tell. <laughs> um, yeah, it's catchy, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm buying that t-shirt. You sell it, I'm there. 
um like so yeah americans do good thing to cows um i like uh, i especially like living in southern california i get to like access food from a lot of different parts of the world so even though they're not american foods per se like i was introduced to sushi here and i was introduced to ramen and then like korean barbecue and those are all delicious amazing foods and i'm like very glad to have discovered them um american bread is largely trash though and should not be consumed so yes. I grew up with a uh, sourdough is the exception. If you make it yourself, sure. If it is uh, very good quality sourdough, uh, not the one I make myself. But the one that Kathy, my baker, makes, and yes, I'm on a my family is on a first name basis with her. That's good I mean, sourdough. I, I respect that though, Doc. You're on a first I will name allow caveats for the sourdough. But so. the uh, my grandma used to make apple kushal. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It was like an apple pancake thing going on. It's totally mm -hmm. cool. So you'd think I took German once in college, but I've forgotten all of it. So I have no idea. I, I know I'm German's just, got some interesting grammar things that my mom carries to this day still when she writes and she like capitalizes odd nouns. And I'm like, why? And she's like, it's a German thing. Yeah. So I, I actually had uh, my, my college German professor told me his, the best advice I ever got was if I wanted to do a better German accent, just sound like I'm angry all the time and I'm going to spit on someone almost. And that's how you get the German accent right. I'm probably going to get hate mail from Germany, so mail it to Seska at BlastersBlakePodcast.com. Uh, she will love to answer your questions. So, I will mock the JR with you. So, uh, now, so the funny one is that my, my Hispanic mother was telling me about German grammar leaving quirks in her language. Interesting. Uh, my so, family's uh, Mark, you Mark can Twain. Always, oh, go ahead. Go no talk. Oh, Mark Twain. Uh, he actually he wrote this delightful essay making fun of the German language. And like one of my favorite lines from it is he says, "What the literary German dives into the ocean at the beginning of the sentence and emerges on the other side with a verb in his mouth." And it's like because they just <laughs> shunt the verb to the end of the sentence. It's like yeah. all the information, and then behold, what it is doing the verb. I like it. Yeah, I I've heard like some of David Weber's books because German is such a thick language have been separated into more books well and that makes sense too because like if you want to come up with a new word in german a lot of the times we don't generate a new word we just squash the descriptors together until it's a word so you can get 26 letter long words like not frequently but it can happen like there's this like the ring on the outside of a mailbox like for the key is yeah. just literally called the ring on the mailbox outside of the key and it's just all those words jammed together Oh, wow. Yes, but they yeah. gave us the word schadenfreude. So I mean, the Germans <laughs> have done something that's redeeming if they did nothing else. Well, a lot of early chemistry comes from, it came uh, like some of the early chemistry abbreviations came from the German words hmm. because German Germany was leading in chemistry for a long time. So. Is that a drug reference I'm not getting? No, it has to do with rate. We do rate is K because of the German word for rate starts with K, I think. <laughs> Uh, that's what I was told. Right. All right. On that happy note, uh, you can always <laughs> Maybe tell when still I could have been lying to me. You can always tell when I restart my diet because I, I obsess about food because I can't eat it. Uh, ah. We'll get back on talking about sci-fi with uh, with Rachel. So, how did your love of this doc that's just cruel and unusual? And I will fire you. I'm going to fine you half your pay. Um, so, how did your love <laughs> of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you saying, you know what, I'm going to write these stories? Um, I mean, I wanted to write from a pretty early age. I 
somewhere I still have like the first story I ever wrote when I was six. It was um I was not a child prodigy, it was not good. I was six. <laughs> but um Your you know it's this says otherwise I am sure. <laughs> I'm sure. But like I've always wanted to um like I've always enjoyed writing as an outlet. And then in school it was especially good because it looked like you were taking notes. So you could like tune out and just turn out pages handwritten. And the teacher like be like, look over and as long as you look up periodically, it looks like you're taking notes. And so that was how I got through high school. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. I, I tried to write something in high school, but it was pathetic. I thought I read the uh, Beowulf and I thought I could do that and tried to write an epic poem. Yeah. I hope <laughs> yeah, my that's mother read it and no one ever sees it because it was horrific. You're going to try to bribe her to get it released, aren't you, Doc? You See, we have this I, unfortunate thing, Rachel, where my mom likes her better than me, so it's kind of awkward. That's yeah. rough. That's rough. Buddy. It is. I'm pretty sure See, if my mom knows. listened to the podcast, she'd like JR more than me. Maybe we can switch. <laughs> anyway, we'll discuss that <laughs> offline when our parents aren't listening. And we'll move on. You can ask her question 12. My mom never listened. So... Okay, so many authors let their real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. Um, were there any specific experiences you had growing up that really influenced what you write or how you write? I mean, I don't know about growing up, but I can uh, I can point to, like, I can point to one day that made me see red briefly. Um, and that, like, reinforced that cyberpunk was the genre that I needed to be writing in. <laughs> so I, I told you I was working down in Irvine. And it was this huge drive. So I would leave at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning to try and beat traffic and get down there early. And then I would chill at, like, a coffee shop until, like, my workplace opened and I could go to work. Um, and it's California, so, like, it never rains here, right? And especially during that time, we were at the height of, like, a really terrible drought, as which is, like, most of the time here, but still. Um, and so we had this situation where like people were being fined for watering their lawns and there was this big effort to like, everybody needs to conserve water. We have to conserve it, like limit your showers. And like, it was this huge thing, right? And everybody was sort of like white knuckling it and be like, we need to not waste any water. Uh, but I would get there early and I would see the, um, the Irvine Spectrum Center is like the area I worked in and they would be washing down the whole area with like power sprayers. And they had these huge green lawns just everywhere. And it was, I had this moment where I was like, why are they using so much water? And then it hit me like, oh, like this is this moment where if like, if even there's so many powerful people here, no one's going to report it. And even if they did, the company is managing all of this, would just shrug and pay the fine and keep throwing water away. But mm -hmm. that water isn't going to buy back. Like, you can't use that money to buy back water. There just isn't water. So all this, like, all this, like, precious, like, life-giving resource is being, like, literally thrown away on the ground so that, like, the rich executives and, like, people in ties can walk across the, like, promenade without their feet getting dusty. And it was just this, like, moment where I felt this, like, incandescent rage because like so many people were struggling and it was just like, oh yeah, the fine, like when the punishment is a fine, it, it's basically a law that doesn't apply to rich people. And it was just this like tiny little microcosm of like, ah, I see the problem here. Okay. JR. I am um, <laughs> trying not to go onto one of my libertarian rants. So Doc, ask the next question before we go. <laughs> No, but I, I get it. And I think that's actually a great way to say, you know, what 
that definitely hits the quintessential what does cyberpunk really focus on when you boil it down um but transitioning from writing and into fan stuff have you had any cool fan art from a cosplay or fan art or a cosplay of a character of yours yet um i don't have fan art specifically but one of my friends to give me i brought it for show and tell today um i don't know how well you can see oh. but there's this it's a it's moth so made out of um circuit boards and computer parts because the opening of my first book is the story of um, Dr. Grace Hopper uh, logging the very first computer bug, uh, which was a moth that had gotten stuck in the relays and shut the system down in the, like in the the like the first computer. And so she actually took the moth and she taped it in the logbook because uh, she was you know she was in the Navy she was working for the military and wrote next to it first case of actual bug being found. <laughs> nice. and that's the first recorded computer bug we have uh, and so awesome. i open with that story and it's the idea that like something small can break a giant system if it's willing to die for it yeah and there so, are plenty of examples where that applies to politics too including you know anything in the army <laughs> well no i just i mean look at how drastically world war one changed the face of the modern world and that was because the black hand a relatively small political organization was willing to say i believe in something enough and they did and the whole yes. yeah. 20th century was drastically altered because of that one person willing to to take risks essentially now, okay, that was, that was a, part of it. There's of also some ending. dumb luck that goes into that story. Like, holy yeah, there is, but I mean, it, it's it's sort of, you know. But Jr. loves the story of dumb luck. <laughs> I do. It's, it's the life of a of a private in the infantry. But I also didn't want anything too modern because that would set off the uh, the we try to be apolitical. And um, fair so enough. We've got, so, we've got yeah. everyone from the far right to the my best friend who's a communist that listens. So, shout out to all of you. No. We love you all. But I love, all the, I love the story of the first computer bug. I I will. Uh, I love that. Was so. that a is that that's real or that was for you? That's a true story. story. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it was in your story. Okay, that's uh, it is. I, I open telling that story because there's like a hacker talking to a reporter, and they're like, "Oh, let me tell you this story to give you an idea of like because the the book itself revolves around these high tech thieves." Um, and so this this former thief is telling a reporter this story to illustrate. He's like, here's why you will never build a perfect system that can keep these thieves out. Yeah. Let me tell you the story of Grace Hopper. So that's right. awesome. So but have I you, promise you know, I have impeccable reading comprehension skills. <clears throat> you have something. Uh, have you had any fun fan interactions, though, since you started writing? Um, I get fan mail. Um, the book was originally posted online because I wasn't sure if anyone still read Cyberpunk uh, when I started. <laughs> so I initially posted it all online for free and I started getting fan mail and that was like, ah, okay, like we can move forward with this and, and go to like publication and all that and write the rest of the series. Uh, but then recently, just a couple weeks ago, I actually had like my first experience of a stranger outside of a convention coming up to me and being like, I love your work. Like I read wow. the whole series and it was very exciting. I turns out have no ability to be professional uh, when surprised like that. So I just <laughs> lost it. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And just like flailing sort of, I talk with my hands. So just like flailing wildly. Um, it was not, that. they might Did not read the next one, but. <laughs> Did you squee or, or, or were you a little bit more dignified? 
I, there was no dignity. None. Zero. None. Zilch. That's okay. You get a pass on the first one. <laughs> okay. As females, we can get away with it a little bit more. <laughs> this is true. You know, so we'll it has on. to do with that being cute and adorable thing. JR never mastered it. Um, <laughs> I'll get there one day. No, you won't. So, can you give us the highlight reel of everything that it, Rachel Beck, literary extraordinaire? So, your uh, bibliography, basically. Uh, I mean, uh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> I wrote a fantasy novel out of college that's no longer in print, and that's probably a good thing. Um, but after that, um, things got better. And I made this line of, um, I call it story jewelry. Um, and it was basically little pieces of jewelry that each came with like a short story. And it was the story oh. of the circuits that like burned down and all the animals escape into the night. And they each have like a little perspective piece on what they saw happen that night. If you put the stories together, you can figure out who done it. That's um, cute. It was That's kind cute. of awesome. Um, it sold really well at conventions. Um, they were just these little like animal pendants. There was a fox, a raven a rabbit, you know, the magician's rabbit, the, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so that was a lot of fun to create. Um, I worked on what was called the Dracula Files, which was a retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, set in modern day San Francisco. So oh, cool. like it's all cool. instead of the original is like um, letters and correspondences that go back and forth between people. Whereas, so we did it all with audio. So we did like voicemails and radio spots and things oh, like that. So it's like a found footage style um, piece as Dracula comes and it's pretty faithful to the original. So we like, we just transfer all of it, um, but into the modern era. Like what if Dracula didn't go to England? What if he came to America in the modern day? And that was a ton of fun. We did three seasons uh, to do the entire story um, and wrapped it, I'm gonna say 2018, 2019. Um, and then after that, I wrote the glitch logs, um, and I'm on, uh, three books are published, uh, and I'm working on the fourth one now. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, are you still going to be selling the, um, the jewelry slash story thing, or is that dead too? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I was, the way I was supplying it is I had a friend who worked at a trophy shop and she could use their laser cutter, uh, okay. but she went and got a different job. So I don't have... I need to you decide if I'm going to find man. a new supplier or not. That sounded very cyberpunk, that answer. <laughs> I, I, can, I can appreciate your dedication to the cause. No, it just it seemed like it got a lot of creativity that you then, okay, I'm done with that. I'm moving on and I'm pulling it from the market. So I don't know. Maybe it's, I mean, it's worth cleaning up and putting stuff back out there. It might be. Um, we actually, uh, my friend and I, Karen Keen, we actually ran a production company for a number of years but uh, we had to close our doors in 2019 because um, we just didn't have the ability to work full-time jobs, like multiple jobs most of the time, and then also run a production company. It turns out that there's just a ton of logistical work, um, yeah. which ended up being fortuitous because 2020 happened right after that. And yeah, yikes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still, there's still a lot of content out there uh, that someday, now that the convention season's opening up again, we might revisit. Okay. All right. So since you've listed uh, the series that you got out right now that you're focusing on is cyberpunk, you've already sort of answered what you love about cyberpunk as a genre from the reader perspective, but what made you decide to, to shift to writing that? Um, so honestly, it's because I wanted my friends to like the genre too, but none of the stuff I handed them was accessible. Okay. What do you mean like, by accessible? So like Gibson has beautiful prose. But I 
most of my friends picked it up and went nope and like put it back down again um especially um and then like especially my women friends anytime i handed them something i'd be like here it is here's the content warning that goes with it um and like cyberpunk is dealing with some gritty stuff that's part of the genre but also i was like i want something where i can just you can sit down you can knock it out in an evening and it's fun like i want i want you to fall in love with the genre the way i did um because like some of it is like these big heady ideas that i think are like really important um to society today and the conversation we're having but also i really like the aesthetic of neon in the rain reflected off of an oily puddle like yes. i just love it it looks awesome. It's like the only time pollution actually looks okay. Right. And like the plastic bag floating in the oil puddle. It's like poetic and gross at the same time. It's just, I don't know. I really like it. And I wanted them to love it too. And like some of them already did. But for the most part, I wanted to write a piece where like, oh, you've never read cyberpunk before? Here, let me give this to you. Um, it will introduce you to all the tropes of the genre. You'll get a sense of the ideas. But it's also going to be just fun to read. And you can knock it out in an evening. Yeah, no, okay. I... I I think having something like that that's accessible is the key to getting really people into it, mm -hmm. in my opinion. But uh, I'm also the very unpopular David Weber person who tells people to start with the second book, not the first book. <laughs> it, the second book is much more accessible and much more fun to read if you like to read for fun. I liked On Basilisk Station. I liked it well enough, too, but Honor of the Queen is much better. It's much more fun. It's much more approachable. Fair. All right. So did you, uh, <laughs> since we're talking about cyberpunk and not David Weber today, um, do did you participate in the cyberpunk day this year since we heard about you through Matthew? Yeah. Um, I uh, did a couple things for that. I ended up running their social media stuff for um, the day of and then leading up to it. So it was, I mean, it was a 14 hour day. I sat down in the morning and at 8 a.m. and I think got up at 10 o'clock at night. So um, it was a full yeah. day, but it was definitely worth it. Um, so, and then I also made... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go continue. Uh, I also made... Uh, there was a trailer that went out that had, like, everybody's book covers and logos and things, and it kind of zooms in past a bunch of cyberpunky-looking buildings, and then it's, like, short. It's, like, a 20-second animation. But I built that for them for fun. Um, and That's then awesome. Just, oh, and I did the reporting for them. Like, afterwards, I was like, okay, here's... Like here's where you like here's where traffic came from. Here's where people responded from. Here's my recommendations for next year. Go team. I like her. I want to keep her. <laughs> she's, she likes numbers. Is that what this is about? I do like numbers. No, no, data is important. And relevant data is important to optimize what you're doing because you don't want to piss in the wind and get nothing done when you could be doing something important. Doc, you know that math was invented by the government to keep us down. <laughs> JR, math is in cyberpunk, but it is not cyberpunk villain. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so did you uh, approach them or did Matt twist your arm and talk you into participating in the cyberpunk day? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Somebody, I was talking about it to someone. They're like, oh, how'd you get involved in that? I think it's evidence that Matt is a very good networker because I don't know how I got involved. <laughs> I know that he contacted me about doing a reading and at some point, and then I made it like the trailer and was like, Hey, you can use this if you want. Um, and then suddenly I was running social media for them. I don't honestly, I cannot tell you what happened. 
I know um, one minute we we're talking about his book series and it's kind of cool. And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll come back for Cyberpunk. And I'm like, that's cool. It's new content. And somehow now I'm hosting a Cyberpunk anthology through Bayonet Books this coming year. Uh, I don't know how that kind of happened. Yeah, and I had to tell really my, my mom the, the, runs the business side of things. And I had to tell her, I'm like, yeah, I haven't actually done the market research. So I don't even know if this is going to sell. But somehow I said yes. So I definitely feel you. I hope it sells because I'm going <laughs> crow if it doesn't. But he sold me. Yeah. So. No, he's, yeah. All right, so let's get back on track. All of your books were uh, were the same series, the Glitch Log series. Uh, we're going to talk today about book one, though, Defrag. So where did you come up with the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? So, um, <laughs> so I'm a nerd. Um, you may have heard the rumor because uh, I'm here <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but the, um, the way that I was kind of introduced to cyberpunk as like a first concept is there's this um, tabletop RPG called The Sprawl. Um, it's uh, powered by the Apocalypse system and it's a cyberpunk game. It's you know based on uh, William Gibson's idea of The Sprawl. And in this game, it's kind of like, I don't know if you're like familiar with D&D or... Like, oh, we okay. are very familiar. Excellent. Okay, so the premise of this world is you live in a cyber dystopia and you're thieves and you steal things. That's the that's it. Like that's the that's the big premise of it. And so I uh, some a player canceled and they were like, we really want to run because we haven't run in three weeks because that's how adults you know can't schedule. Like trying to find overlapping schedule for adults is just impossible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. The um, death of and many a campaign fell apart that way. <laughs> Real life and jobs. Yeah. <laughs> so um they dropped me into it and they're like oh do you want to like do you want to play this hacker and i was like fuck yes i do um and then like immediately it um like it was just a lot of fun and the campaign like kind of fell apart it dwindled off as they do but um at that point i'd already sort of fallen in love with the aesthetic and the ideas and it became this like i started thinking more about like high concept stuff for like cyberpunk world and i was like I wanted to know, like, is it possible to, like, still rebel in a society where everything is for sale? Um, because any move you make in a society where, like, every inch of everything is bought up, like, hurts somebody and benefits somebody. So if you're going to, like, move in that space, like, you may as well get paid for it. Um, but then you're also, like, supporting the system and there's sort of this complicated, like, problem of, like, how do you how do you not just feed the system when you're in a space where everything is bought up? And then like, what happens if you have a conscience in a cyber dystopia? Like, oh no, um, because like the way to like hurt a company is also hurting the minimum wage worker at the bottom of that pile. And they have got to like buy baby formula like that night for their kid. Like, so where do you like, how do you even begin to approach this problem? Um, and that all sounds very heady, but then I wrote, I also wanted a book that was going to be fun. So I, the first book deals with high tech hacker. She's on a job, the job, like uh, to steal things from giant corporations. Uh, the job goes wrong and everybody has to get out alive by like forming tenuous alliances and everybody has like crossed agendas and things like that. So like the story itself is like very much high action adventure. Everybody gets in, gets out. Um, there's like, she's a hacker. So she goes into their cyberspace a lot and it's beautiful and artistic. Um, it's my artsy bullshit. Um, <laughs> but, um, we can all respect the artsy bullshit. <laughs> 
Um, but then like, also I wanted to like introduce these ideas, but not have a soapbox about them, right? I, it wasn't supposed to be like a well-written essay disguised as a novel. I wanted to be like, hey, let's talk about this, but let's have fun while we do it. Um, let's have some optimism while we do it. Okay. So doc, do you like the RT bullshit? Uh, sometimes I do. Okay. I like it in my books. I like it on my cover art. I don't like it in like my table conversation. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like I, I've had people try to impress me with artsy bullshit and I just kind of look at them and I'm like, okay, next please. Those are the kind of people that actually think impressionist painting is good. No. Yeah. Okay, no. Okay. So let's take a look at your cover. Speaking of artsy fartsy. <laughs> I like this. It really reminds me of a, a manga, actually. Like when the when I first saw it, I was like, "That looks like a cyberpunk manga." Okay, so funny story. You say that I have literally had people walk up because I tend to sell uh, mostly at, like comic conventions and things like that, and I literally have had people walk up and picked it up and opened it and went, "Oh, it's words!" and dropped the book. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, it's what a bad allergy to have. <laughs> um, he didn't buy it, incidentally. I, I'm having that great debate with my 14 year old. Like, he wants the picture books. I want him to read chapter books. The struggle. I is already real. told you what to do. You give him essay questions. He has to answer during the next one. This is true. This is true. It's also an expensive habit if they can read the book in like five minutes. And then yeah, that makes them slow down and you ask them good detailed content questions so that they have to go back and reread it. That's that's smart. I'm scribbling notes furiously. <laughs> I've already told you this twice. You know I've got the brain damage. Jeez. You are brain damage. I am. Now move on. Ask her <laughs> elevator. Okay, so what would your 30 second elevator pitch be for this novel? Uh, let's see. Uh, Megacorps own everything in Neosaka, and it's Glitch. She's the protagonist. It's her job to take it from them. Uh, one night, a job goes wrong. Her team uh, gets killed off, and she's got to ally with the enemies, the enemy team in the building to make any of them get out alive. You had a few seconds to spare. Well done. It's almost like you practiced. Ooh. Hey, when you sell books at cons, you get good at that 30 seconds. You're on so, you actually if you get 30 seconds. Hmm? Do you actually sell them in the elevator, though? No, but you're selling them in the con floor. It'd be more impressive if you did in an elevator with an elevator speech. In an, elevator, in an elevator, you'd be able there. to hear yourself think. Yeah. Convention floors are like a level up. Okay, I was seriously at a convention once where they put a wrestling ring in the middle of the vendor's hall. Why? Every 30 minutes, there's this like wham as the like, uh, wrestlers are like hitting the ground. Uh, I'm sure they thought it was a good idea. And so like you could not pitch a single thing the entire day because it was just this constant like high level noise value from the center of the floor. I, I hope you left them a bad Yelp review. <laughs> well, I'm not going back. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no. I am quite sure that uh, that there were lots of people who aren't going back. Vendors would not like that at all. So, all right. All right, anyway, let's get back on the books because I like books. So, let's talk about your series. What is it that makes your series really stand out in the cyberpunk venue? 
Um, well, my cyberspace is prettier than your cyberspace. Uh, we'll start there. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> oh, nice. Such a girl answer, but still awesomely aggressive. I approve. Well done, madam. Thank you. Um, also, um, I'm more optimistic than your average cyberpunk uh, novel. I want to talk about the hard topics, um, but um, I actually think that there's a lot of hope in the genre, and I want to explore that. Um, also, um, shout out to uh, all the lady readers out there. Um, you can read this without content warnings. Go nuts. Um, yeah, I have heard that some of, particularly some of the more classic or hardcore cyberpunk. Um, yeah. Well, it's, so, it's, it's interesting, though, because I wrote it for women. Like, I was like, we're going to have one cyberpunk book out there that's written for women. But the majority of my readership is actually men, like far and away. Um, like, that's who I get fan. Like, that's where I like get fan mail from. That's where like, that's who walks up to my table. And maybe that's just a super saturation of the genre. But it was like, it was a surprise. I was not expecting that. Well, I think it's because guys, they also want to have because like, the hopeful, they still want to have some of the same things. Like we all need to feed certain parts of ourselves and just because we're male or female doesn't change that those parts need feeding still. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You're not the only female author I know who's like, I, I wrote this really for women, but like 90% of my readers seem to be male. So, and, and I think that just goes to show a, that they're, well, I mean, males are a majority of the population which is fine i'm not going to complain about that but it's that they that they ha still have the same things that they want to read yeah so so now when you said that unlike the rest of the genre this doesn't have uh trigger warnings are you implying that there are issues of consent in a lot of the <laughs> cyberpunk genre uh, I mean, yeah being too graphic uh, yeah i mean Snow Crash is a great example. The first two thirds of the book is a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard the about last, the last. Yeah, the last third of the book, the author like forgot that his one of his protagonists is a fourteen year old kid, like a fourteen year old yeah. girl. It's it's rough. All right, you'll have to tell me that offline because we want to mm -hmm. keep this family friendly. Yeah, um, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean. It, it's everywhere, and like he kind of comes to the territory, but also like we could have one book that didn't do that yeah that's fair that's fair well and i think that's really awesome i'm definitely looking forward to picking this up and reading it because it looks awesome and it's nice to have something with hope because that's one thing that kind of always pushes me off with the genre is i read i want things I, if i want dark and depressing i can turn on the news okay that's what so twitter's for yeah, <laughs> Doc, before you ask your trope question, I got one question for you, Rachel. Since you mentioned that it's hopeful and it doesn't have the stuff that would require trigger warnings, presumably that makes it slightly more wholesome. And as someone with both of us, we've mentioned trying to get our kids to, to read actual chapter books. Mm -hmm. What would the youngest age you would say would be acceptable to read your book? I mean, because we've got some families that listen to this together. So um, I've had the same question from parents at conventions. And what I tell them is it's not a hard read. Like you could read it like middle school, high school, like the language level is not going to be hard. I'm not, I'm not out to prove my literary credentials or anything. Um, there is swearing in it. So depending on how parents feel about that, some parents are okay with it. They kind of look at me and laugh and are like, have you heard my kid's music? Um, 
I can understand that. And other parents are like, okay, <laughs> thanks for the warning. And then like, you should go talk to, you know, what other, other vendor is here at the hall. They'll have something that's a little bit more uh, what you're looking for. See, I'm like the middle ground parent and I'm like, you're going to be exposed to it, but it is also your job not to parrot it. That's fair. fair All right, Doc, you get to ask her your one of your favorite questions. Mostly because it let you make up a word. Oh, the tropolicious question. How do you feel? Yes. How do you she feel? She likes making up that word. I don't like making up that word. It is a word. <laughs> To you and you alone, and now to Rachel because she. So man, Dragon Con, all of Dragon Con. Tropolicious uh -huh. is a thing. All right. Well, let's let her answer instead of us bickering like siblings. <laughs> so, tropoliciousness. What tropes do you feel you hit on the best, or you twist in just kind of that fun way that you want? Um, okay, so I also enjoy tropes. Uh, one of my favorite tropes is spiky on the outside, but like loyal ride or die on the inside. Um, and so that's my main character. She's not great with people, but like, holy hell, if you need um, if you need somebody in a pinch, she's the one that you want to call because she will show up and go to bat for you. Um, so I enjoy that trope a lot. Um, uh <laughs> Lovable asshole. I like that one quite a lot too. Like, which is a, a variant on the previous one. I recognize I have a type. No wonder but... she likes it here. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an asshole. Um, Actually, Jer is the nice one out of the two of us. I wasn't going to say that, but you know, because I, I am the nice one. So I won't tell you that you're the asshole, but I'm just. <laughs> Um, so we hit that one with probably more characters than I should, like, I should probably find other tropes. Um, we also have, like, the femme fatale, um, the innocent shows up in book three, um, you know, for better or for worse in a cyber dystopia, you're probably in trouble if you're the innocent, um, in that space. Uh, one of my favorite characters is Tony. He's in book two. He's... Uh, a really weird dude, but he's your shapeshifter. He's, you know, your ally one minute and he's your enemy. Like, he's liable to be one or the other at any given moment and you're never quite sure which one it's going to be, but he's also, like, charismatic enough that people keep coming back. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So, um, we, we talked about how this definitely fits in the cyberpunk, but where do you see this fitting in other subgenres? Like, there's a heist. Is it a heist story also? It is a heist story, especially uh, the first and the third are like just straight up. We need to go get the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin is in X location. Let's go get it. Um, like it's it's not a complicated plot uh, in that regard. Um, the. Uh, let's see. I would. OK, so here's where we come back to my like theory about cyberpunk and superheroes. I would argue that it's trying to be the superhero genre in a world that's really built against it. OK, like the protagonist is unfortunately saddled with a conscience, kind of. <laughs> Only okay. here will a conscience be a problem. Right. And like in any other genre, that would be the thing that saves the protagonist is usually like they do the right thing. And at the end of the day, that's what vindicates them. Whereas um, I wanted to like look at the question of like, hey, what if doing the wrong, the right thing? Um, what if you're not the one that pays for that? 
what if that is like, yeah, you're going to do the right thing and it is like morally the right thing to do, but it's going to like, the cost is going to fall on somebody else's shoulders and it might be somebody at the bottom rungs of society. Like, how are you going to like, how are you going to navigate that in a space where everything, like there is no free real estate, everything is bought up. Um, so I think it engages with a lot of the conversations of the superhero genre, um, though I think you would be hard pressed to argue that it is straight up superheroes. So I like that. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the main character? Like what's her backstory just a bit without giving us too much spoiler? Uh, yeah. So she was uh, a professional gamer for a long time. Um, and then due to a series of life events, ended up becoming a professional thief instead. Um, she has a hard time with people because she spends a lot of uh, quality time with her computer if you will. Um, <laughs> and she has the ability to uh, jack into the matrix uh, via a port in the back of her head. Um, and she's uh, very, very good at what she does in that regard. Um, but it turns out that even in a world run by computers, computer skills are not the only thing you need to make it work. Okay. What about um, secondary characters? Because everybody loves a good secondary sidekick type character. Although, obviously, not all secondary characters are sidekicks. But do you have any favorite uh, secondary characters? Oh, man. Okay, so I've already mentioned Tony. He's the second-in-command of a Korean motorcycle gang, and he's just a ton of fun. Um, he's he's just a weird guy, and I like him. Uh, West, uh, in book three, is also one of my favorites. He is your lovable asshole, um, 100%. He's, his job is to make people like him and then do what he wants. Um, and he's very good at it, which makes him kind of dicey to interact with because you never know, like, oh, is this you or are you being played right now? Um, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, Nero in the first book is also one of my favorites. He's um, He's got a mask that he basically uses to, um, it's like, instead of seeing his facial expressions, he'll just post, like, emojis or memes or whatever uh, to sort of, like, to, sh to emote what he would like you to see rather than, like, whatever his expression actually is. Um, and he's just this delightfully like overblown character. Um, he's a lot of fun too. Okay. So do you have any bad guys that they face other than the corporation? Obviously no spoilers. Yeah. Uh, hmm, no spoilers. That's tricky. Uh, yes. Um, there is a punt because of, because of spoiler issues. We understand. Yeah. Um, there is a big bad that's hunting glitch. He, who was a former, uh, a former like person on her like gaming team. He's the one that, because of the crisis that he set off, uh, sort of drove her to a life of crime. Um, and he's like still hunting her across the books. Um, and then I wanted to deal with, <laughs> without getting like too overly heady here, I also want to deal with this idea of like the systems of the city are kind of are the antagonist. And that sounds super vague. But it's this idea that like every single person in the city, like we've engineered ourselves into a space where every single person in the city from like the lowest register worker to the highest C CEO is replaceable. Um, so everybody sort of has a gun to each other's heads because if any of them break, like the system is designed to get rid of them. And it's not like it's some fancy AI. It's just like, that's how business plans work. I can see that. That's kind of scary. Okay, that is a depressing look on modern life, but um, hopefully they solve it in the end somehow. 
So speaking of characters, since we've talked about your favorite secondary characters, your bad guys, your good guys, uh, if your characters met you in a back alley and they knew you were Rachel Beck, the god of the universe, the creator of them, the torturer of them, and they met you in this this back alley, how do you see that interaction playing out? And how quickly will you die? I mean, pretty quickly at this point. Um. <laughs> I might have survived the end of book two. I will not survive the end of book three. Um, so they would have some some words to say with you? I mean, I don't think that there would be words. I think it would just be like, oh, it's you, you, you know, bleepity bleep, bleep, bleep. And then like, and that would be the end of it. Though realistically, the, um, uh, she's a hacker. Realistically, I would never make it to the alley. I'd try and leave the building and the doors would be locked. And, you know, the fire suppression system would end up killing me or something like that. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, as someone who worked in a vault once upon a time, I can definitely understand the um, dangerous nature of that. When you work with uh, historic artifacts, they have the uh, Halon fire suppression. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember as an intern, the, the park ranger I worked for was telling me that, uh, don't worry, interns are replaceable. If something happens, I'm to die to protect the artifacts. I hope he was kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I totally, I can respect that, that hit on a visceral level when you said like you wouldn't even make it. Like that's, all right, this is not the JR Therapy Hour, so we're going to move on. Doc, next question is yours. Now that we've learned JR is even more scarred than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a favorite archetype since we've talked about characters? Um, I mean, spiky on the outside, heart of gold on the inside is definitely a type, and I like that type. Um, beyond that... Um, is it because you relate to it so well? I'm a very difficult person to get along with. I don't know if you know. I haven't noticed, but you get along with Doc, which says some things. So, <laughs> um, I also like, um, I mean, not quite the himbo archetype, but like something close to it where they're like, you really mean well and you're just about indestructible, but man, you're not that bright. Like the hero who's like, I'm gonna go face the whatever, like single handedly, let's do this. And you're like, no, you, you. You beautiful idiot. Like, you're too good for this world. Come back. We will get a better plan. <laughs> and I think you always need somebody like that in a, group, in a group so that yeah. you have, like, a, a moral conscious. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you need the you need the, um, the heart, right? The reason we do what we do. So. Yeah. Wow. And then, um, so, Definitely, particularly more so for cyberpunk, I think, than most sci-fi subgenres, the world is as much a protagonist in your story. Hmm. So what exactly should we expect for, to see from this person that is your world? Uh, well, you should expect to see a lot of rain on neon reflected in oil petals. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that. Um, you should also, because I worked in marketing at the time when I was sort of conceiving of this space, um, you should expect to see a lot of snarky commentary uh, through billboards and just like the existence of franchises and things like that about the world. Um, like, I won't sit there and monologue to you about the evils of society. I'll just show you a, a floor of an office building where they made all the cubicles have glass walls that are like reconfigurable and make some snarky comment about like like it was designed by a team of executives who didn't have enough liberal arts degrees between them to see the symbolism of it like wow it's okay 
it, I'll be snarky at it. Like, so it's a snarky um, high tech world. Um, it's beautiful, but it's also really like dirty. Um, well, we you, the, the, snark. the, the characters are all like from the lowest class of society um, and they're looking up. So obviously defrag is book three in a series uh, as a th part of a three book series. You've told mm -hmm. us so. Um, where do you see this going? How many, you said you're working on four, but do you mm -hmm. see this going prolonged? Do you see it branching out to talk about other characters? Um, I want to get it done in six books. That's my target right now. Um, we'll see as I get closer to the climax, if I think I need another book or not in there. Um, but I'm planning on following this protagonist, um, the whole way through. Part of the thing I wanted to test out with her is this question of like, like, I want her to earn her wins. So like, how can I drive this character into the ground enough? Um, and will she still come out on top on the other side? And like, let's look at that. Um, so in the first three books, it's a lot about like, just like the raw, like we need to survive this, this hellish dystopia. And then book four, uh, after the events of the end of book three, there's sort of a turn and, and we get to like this new, this character is like, no, I need to start, like, it's time to punch back. Um, we need to start like being proactive about making it in this world. And so I want a couple books to explore. What does that actually look like? Um, and then we'll have a, you know, a grand finale where we hopefully will start to resolve some questions. <laughs> or uh, resolve questions and open new ones for a follow on series, maybe? Possibly. I actually have, um, in a radically different genre, another set of series I want to write. I want to do um, like older books that are like public domain. I want to revisit them uh, in a fantasy setting, like go back to fantasy. Like I want to do a retelling of Lem is uh, with um, fairies and Eponine and Cosette are sisters. And I want to focus on them as the protagonists and be like, hey, this is a story of sisterhood. Um, I think that'd be interesting. I think that uh, Count of Monte Cristo is just dying to be rewritten as a vampire or something or other. Um, I could see it. And then Phantom of the Opera. I mean, it's right there. There's clearly a ghost that's trying to get this girl to like attach to him. So when she dies, her ghost will stay in the theater with him. Right. Like it's right there in the name. <laughs> All right. I see an entire series for you. Next, if you say you like Sailor Moon, Doc's going to run away with you and I'm going to lose my podcast host. But <laughs> we all know that she's got a strange addiction to the Sailor Moons. But um, so we all know that it is every not little... strange. Do you, do you care to weigh in, Rachel? I've never actually seen Sailor Moon. It's okay. The I'm sisterhood sorry. couldn't save you today, Doc. All right. So every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science, technology, and sometimes magic. So what sort of tech or magic can we expect? I'm assuming no magic, it's cyberpunk, but right. I won't, you know, but uh, what sort of tech can we expect from your uh, prettier than everyone else's version of cyberpunk? Um, so a lot of it um, is actually based on more or less feasible, like this is actually how computers work. Um, I have enough um, IT people in my extended family that they would kill me if I went too far afield. Um, so it's all like roughly believable in terms of like the computing power and what reasonably could or couldn't happen. Um, so like in that sense, it's pretty grounded, but it's also um, I wanted so often cyberspace is like 
this very transactional space in fiction or it's like snow crash where it's just like the metaverse we've all just for whatever reason decided that we're going to pretend like it observes this, observes the same laws as physical space even though we're a bunch of like hackers that put this together um which i just don't buy um like i don't think people are going to all play pretend together in this giant world perpetually even when it disadvantages them um, so it kind of walks the line between the two. Like, I want it to be this, like, beautiful space where, um, like, it's, like a, like, a very, like, vivid and, like, contrast to the, like, rainy, gloomy outside. Like, there's a reason that people retreated to VR in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But also, it observes the laws of, um, like, actual computing for the most part. There's definitely a couple of places where I hand wave it a little bit. Like, yeah, you, you got these credentials. It's fine. Move along. Um, but... But generally speaking, it's a pretty grounded, but also very pretty. Okay. Doc, next one's on you again. Um, so, uh, of all the tech you invented in your universe, which one would you want for daily use? Huh. That's interesting. <laughs> it's actually, that's kind of a hard question because, like, as much as, even though I'm a cyberpunk author... I'm like acutely aware of the dangers. Like my husband really wants a, like a neural implant. He thinks that would be great to be like, I could just control stuff with my mind. Like my smart you house or whatever past. can result, you know, can yeah. move it by thought. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But you think getting a song like stuck in your head is bad now. Like, yeah, no, I, honestly, to be honest, it's the ADHD of, ooh. Right? I never like, get to watch a show again. If you, if you, and like add to that, add pop-ups, bugs, like the whole bit, yeah. like no. Uh, I think if I did have one, though, it's purely for coolness factor. Uh, there's these, like, they call them hoverboards, but they're, like, low-friction boards, and they're towed around by drones. So, like, if you want to go somewhere, you, like, whip out this, like, skateboard-esque thing with no wheels, and then a drone tows you around the city. I think that would be amazing. Um, that was purely so for the fun factor, though. I don't think that's actually a really practical way of getting around. Did you watch Back uh, Back to the Future? This franchise uh, where they had the hoverboards. Is that what that inspired? That's right. That's yeah, it did mind. when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of that. But then think of it being like, instead of being like self-powered by whatever engine, think of it being like hauled around by a drone. Okay. Yeah. Back to so, my, my cool 80s nerd credentials. How would you abuse this te- any of this tech if you had it today? How would I abuse it? It sounded I mean, like you had a conscience because you were talking about how dangerous and problematic. But but let's forget you have that conscience for just five seconds. I mean, I'd question. probably use the drone to walk the dog. Especially <laughs> if it's raining. Oh, especially that's amazing. Yeah? Yeah. No, no, no. That tracks. Um, I mean, I definitely... Uh, we're about to get into my gripe about public transportation. Um, let's avoid <laughs> that. I would circumvent the public transportation system. That is what I would do, and I would avoid cars, um, uh, which is like true. super boring. But like honestly, I um, have so I live much in rage. Okay, I yeah, live in so. the home of lone road rage. Yeah, like it. I don't Seriously, know. Almost like we had a guy who shot a stoplight, and this was not in like the boondocks. This was in the yuppie part of East Cobb. <laughs> And he and I and this this was like almost twenty years ago. (laughs) A major intersection. Wow! And like the fancy part of town. Okay. Doc, every Doc and I, we always come up with answers about like you know 
horrible things we do for fun or how we, you know, make avoiding traffic is number one. But but Rachel comes in here and she's like, I'm better than you, and I know it. I'm gonna show everybody I'll do something nice. (laughs) It's okay. We apologize for nothing. I would totally use the drone to walk the dog and like pick up the poop. That's also a good one. So do you have uh, fantastical creatures or aliens in this universe? Uh, not really. I have uh, fantasy creatures in the Matrix occasionally as a shout out to Shadowrun. Um, like I try and tip my hat at a lot of the other big like pieces of the cyberpunk like canon, if you will. Um, and I think there's debate. Obviously, there's debate about literally everything. But um, I think Shadowrun has had its like say in the cyberpunk universe as well. And so I include fantasy creatures inside the like the matrix, the cyberspace as sort of like a hat tip to them to be like, yep, you are here too. Okay. So when you create, when you create those, how do you, how do you do that? Do you use existing lore? Do you create it out of whole cloth? You let your nightmares inspire you? I mean, my nightmares do inspire me, but not for this. Um, Yeah. I mean, mostly I just grab fantasy creatures and then pair them to like programs like imps or like retrieval procedures. Um, you've got like your big Minotaur bruisers that are your security systems, like your ad your ad blocker and whatnot. Um, like the various uh, fictional creatures are all just um, like they have a correlation to a, like a program type. Uh, the the premise there being that like everything in the matrix is visual because you can process it a lot faster. All right. Does that mean you have the joke in there? Did you try turning it on and off again? Because that just <laughs> seems like perfectly set up for that. Maybe it's implied in a couple places. All right. I can appreciate that. All right. So uh, this clearly is winding down. We've been going at it for about an hour. Uh, but was there anything we didn't ask you about Defrag or the rest of the Glitch Logs series before we move on? Uh, I don't think so. Um, usually when I talk about this, I end up going into this whole like rant about systems theory that um, I think we've actually like successfully avoided it this time, which is maybe a good thing. I mean, we can, <laughs> um, we can do a segue so you can do your rant real quick if it will make you feel better. It's no, you know what? No, it's it's long. Sometime sometime we'll meet at a convention and it'll be late at night, and I'll be like, so here's the thing about systems. See, there's different times. Or yeah, and- we do a late night fireside chat. We get people that agree and disagree with you. We ply everyone with booze that they want no, to no, provide no. for themselves, and we have it on air. Honestly, I would argue about systems with people like hands down. That's not even a question. Let's 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 put a pin in that idea. All right. So uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're intrigued as I am, uh, comment when this episode goes live and, and, and maybe Rachel will see it and be like, OK, OK, you convince me. But uh, before we let you uh, before we wrap up, is this out an audiobook as well? No. And here's the reason. Uh, because Glitch is a hacker and she spends a lot of time inside the computer. There's a lot of chat logs. And there's a lot of like, a lot of the personality of the chat logs is in the misspellings and the like, how they break up their sentence fragments. And do they use, um, pun- like, do they use punctuation? Do they capitalize things? Because like, everybody has sort of their own handwriting for how they do chat logs. And I haven't found a way to translate that to audio. Like, we've tried doing like yeah. sound cues, we've tried doing like, Unless you want to like introduce different voice actors or like put a noise in the background, honestly, it sounds like really not great every way we've tried it thus far. Um, until I crack that code, I can't figure out a way to make this audio. That's fair. All right. So before we let you go, dear listener and viewer, 
Uh, this is where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your thoughts help the right readers find the right books. So when you're on the Amazons, the Barnes and Noble, the Twitters, the wherever you go to buy your books, I assume you can buy things on Twitter. I don't know. Uh, but wherever you go, Doc, don't laugh. You're not much better than I am when it comes to the social medias. But wherever you buy your books, leave a review. They help the right readers find the right books. And uh, rumor has it, for every 100th review, they get a computer chip now. Apparently, unicorns are not in vogue. Rachel has corrupted them all, so they get computer chips. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but, you know, something dystopian. Farm Bitcoin. Farm Bitcoin. <laughs> Wait. How many reviews do I have? Let me go check. I could use some of those. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Rachel, as we bring this to a close, how can listeners find you? Uh, well, I'm on, uh, I've got a Facebook page, The Glitch Logs, but you're more likely to get a hold of me on Twitter at Rachel DeBeck. Uh, I also have an Instagram account that I check occasionally, also Rachel DeBeck. Um, or you can email me at Rachel at glitchlogs.com. Okay. You also avoid the uh, social medias. I can appreciate that. I had a job in it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. People can ruin your soul and in, in your like of people. I used to be a people person and then people ruined it. But you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. We're on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. I can see what you're doing, Doc. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. I promise it's a real email, unlike Doc's because she doesn't answer hers. Um, she's actually a computerized AI. She doesn't really exist. You're just watching like a, a YouTube AI thing going on in the background. It's it's oh true. My it's a sad God. Story. No, JR, it's called VR, and I'm totally going to make you a VR avatar. One day, one day. You can find us on Facebook in our group where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show on a reoccurring monthly basis, much like a Patreon at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. It helps keep the lights on and the overhead going. Um, you can support the show also on buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. That's a one-time fee if you prefer. Although they are working on doing that as a subscription model as well, but buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast, and I will keep Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Never surrender. Never give up the ship. That's right, because you don't have a problem at all. I don't have a problem. Just you. <laughs> all right, bring it home, Doc. <laughs> He's like, I'm not sure how to answer that one. Thank you for sending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber, J.R. Handley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Millions podcast. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, same kooky people um, with a new guest who gets to see all the weirdness up front. Um, and while we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, and of course, torturing J.R. See, you messed that up, too. That's what you get for making fun of me in the beginning. Karma. No, that's not what I do. That's what I get for sleeping. Pizza that's goes it. on pineapple. Pineapple goes on pizza. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's heretical. We will not tolerate on this show. Rachel, do you want to weigh in? How do you feel on the great pizza and pineapple debate? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't really care. <laughs> Agnostic. Acceptable. And by that, 
I win, Doc. So no, you there. don't. You never win. That's why you're Jr. 